Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll spend the next half an hour or so with me as we take a look at some social issues from a variety of perspectives. The attempt is to find some balance rather than bias. And I promise you in today's topic, bias is what you're going to see almost exclusively in the mainstream media who seem to have decided that no matter what happens in the Middle East, Israel is the bad guy and the Palestinians are somehow always the victims. Is that bias ever to be challenged? And what is the truth? Let's engage some active intelligence. On today's episode, I caught up with David Silver. He lives in Israel, Mount Carmel to be precise, and I spoke to him about what the realities are in the Israel-Palestine conflict and what exactly is behind it all and what's it like to know that many times people around the world seem to think that Israel is the bad guy. That seems to be the narrative, doesn't it, in the mainstream media. You've no idea how difficult it was today to find some media footage that provided another perspective and some balance even. So let's take a look at the traditional perspective, the one you'll see most often when you flick on the telly, the one that starts by saying the Palestinians are the victim of something Israel is doing and that all of the fault seems to lie with the Jewish state. In mid-April 2021, the start of the Holy Muslim month of Ramadan, there were daily violent clashes between Israeli police and Palestinians and scenes like this forced eviction of Palestinian families in East Jerusalem, which inflamed the situation. In the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarab, an Israeli man with a thick New York accent is filmed occupying the backyard of a Palestinian woman's home. Yaakov, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But well, you're you're not it's you're... easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no one, no one is allowed to steal it, Yami. And then this. Israel unleashed devastating airstrikes on Gaza, while Hamas countered with hundreds of rockets fired back at Israel. As has so often been the case, conflicting claims over Jerusalem is at the emotional core of this conflict. Egypt and other surrounding nations tried to broker peace, but as always, for peace to be agreed, both sides need to resolve complex, deep-seated issues. And until that happens, it's hard to see an end to this endless conflict. Gaza can feel claustrophobic at the best of times. Add in streets clogged with the innards of buildings destroyed by airstrikes, it's even more so. People here are still taking in the extent of the damage. This was a war. Um, it was terror from the skies, hour after hour, day after day. Asiya Ahmed is a Canadian with the UN's Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees. Her own office hit by collateral damage. Psychological trauma, she says, is widespread. Dread, feelings of hopelessness, um, an absolute fear and worry that this could happen again in two or three days, if not two or three months. So everyone is still very much uh, on edge. Including children. This UN school is sheltering some 200 people who've lost their homes in the conflict. Volunteers and teachers working hard to give kids something else to think about. Their parents need help too. 
night, boom, 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 everywhere. My children is crying, crying. Kaukab Hanain, a mother of 11, tells us they fled in the night with the clothes on their backs. We want to be, we don't want to war. I have no doubt at all that that Palestinian lady wants peace. But that's the media bias, as if the Israeli people don't want peace. Everybody wants peace. But more than that is the downright bias in the way that story is presented. Did you notice that the 7 News Australia piece suggested that Israel launched the first rocket? And friends, that's simply not true. Now, it's true enough, there had been skirmishes on the Temple Mount in the days leading up to it, but it was Hamas who fired the first of their 4,000 rockets on the Israeli people. Israel was simply defending itself, but the 7 News piece wanted to suggest that somehow Israel started this. And friends, Israel doesn't start these things because they're a little country. Let me give you some perspective. It takes as long to drive from one end to of Israel to the other as it does to drive from Auckland to Hamilton. So uh, about a 90 minute drive. It's a very small country. It can fit into the South Island six times. It's not picking fights with anybody. Surrounded by 300 million Arabs, it does not want any conflict. It wants peace more than the Palestinians could ever hope for. And yet we see this bias and we see this particular narrative designed to tug on your heartstrings as if it's only the Palestinian people who suffer. Now they certainly suffer. And they need our care and our compassion. We don't want to pretend that there isn't suffering on both sides. But what is the other side of this story? Well, you'd be surprised how hard it was to find social media and mainstream media willing to acknowledge there was more to this story. It started in Jerusalem with Arabs attacking Jews for TikTok fame. At the same time, Arabs began protesting the potential eviction of seven families from Sheikh Jarrah following a decades-long legal dispute over their refusal to pay rent. Hamas capitalized on this tension by orchestrating and influencing riots in the Temple Mount. In an attempt to defuse the situation, Israel banned Jews from the Temple Mount. In contrast, Israel ensured 80,000 Muslims could pray there in one day. The rioters began throwing rocks and launching fireworks at Jewish worshippers at the Western Wall, and one of those fireworks nearly burned down Al-Aqsa. Israeli police then moved in to contain the riot, and Hamas responded by declaring if the police didn't leave, they'd attack Israel. And true to their word, Hamas began raining down rockets on Israeli cities. In contrast, Israel is striking Hamas positions, targeting their launch sites, command centers, and operatives including at least 10 senior Hamas members and 50 other Hamas operatives. Israel is hitting terrorists, while Hamas are targeting women and children. No other nation would tolerate such genocidal violence. Israel will not stand by as its citizens are murdered. We pray for peace, but we will defend our people. This is what is called the Iron Dome at work in the skies above Israel. On the right-hand side of the photo, you can see the deadly rockets being fired out of Gaza in an aggressive and deliberately offensive act of war designed to kill and maim as many innocent everyday Israeli citizens as possible. Those rockets, by the way, have been supplied by Iran, funded in part by the Obama-Biden administration and indeed by countries such as ours via our donations to the United Nations. 
Now, on the left-hand side of the photo, looking like something out of Star Wars or Close Encounters, you can see the Iron Dome, a technological miracle that allows Israel to shoot those Iranian and Hamas rockets out of the sky in a purely defensive act designed to save citizens' lives. Now, allow that to tug on the logical side of your brain rather than tug at the emotional strings of your heart. On the right-hand side, a barrage of deadly missile, missiles supplied by the terrorist Iranian regime to the murderous thugs of Hamas designed to kill Jewish men, women and children as they sleep in their beds. On the left-hand side, a highly sophisticated and remarkable defensive system designed through ingenuity and necessity over many long years to protect lives. That is the story of the Gaza conflict and the history of Israel and Palestine. Pretty much everything else you will hear is obfuscation, distortion and lies, including this insidious rubbish that the Palestinians are the victims courtesy of the pernicious moral relativism of the left, peddled incessantly by the mainstream media. Wow, so that's a very rare example of mainstream media pointing out the more obvious narrative that Israel is in fact defending itself against the rockets sent by Hamas, rockets funded by Iran and sadly indirectly by money from the UN and the US for that matter, uh, money that was meant to help the Palestinian people finds its way into the hands of this terrorist organization Hamas who want to wipe Israel from the face of the planet. And that's the problem here is that that's the story that really needs to be told. Yes, we have compassion for the Palestinian people, but equally compassion for Jewish families who are living in fear. But let's step back from this, if we can, to the wider media coverage of this issue rather than just the latest skirmish. And that is to realize that there is some profound anti-Semitism in the mainstream media. Uh, check out this next story. A BBC journalist posted an anti-Semitic post some years ago, but look how it's been picked up in this current conflict and given some energy. And then we'll sort of contrast that with Dennis Prager, who's pointing out that the modern media narrative around Hamas makes no sense in light of the rest of the Middle East. A Ramallah-based BBC digital reporter being investigated today by the UK public broadcaster after it was revealed she had posted Hitler was right on her Twitter page. The tweet is from seven years ago, recently unearthed by Israeli organization Honest Reporting. In the tweet, journalist Tala Halawa also said Israel's more Nazi than Hitler was. Anti-Semitic hashtags have frequently gone viral during conflicts in recent years with Hamas. Just this month alone, the Anti-Defamation League reports that during the Hamas escalation, the hashtag Hitler was right was posted more than 17,000 times. Another disturbing example, the hashtag COVID-1948 has been trending on Twitter too in several countries, including the United States. That hashtag likens the birth of the state of Israel in 1948 to the COVID virus. And people often are posting explicitly anti-Jewish messages and photos along with their messages. Who is the greater threat to peace? Let's forget Israel, okay? Who is the greater threat to peace uh, in Syria? ISIS or Israel? Who is the greater threat to peace in Lebanon? Hezbollah 
or Israel? Who is the greater threat to peace in Egypt? The Muslim Brotherhood or Israel? Do you understand? In every case, everyone in this room would acknowledge that ISIS is a greater threat to peace in Syria than Israel. In every person in this room, I have to believe, even per Professor Schlein, would have to agree that ISIS is a greater threat, that the Muslim Brotherhood is a greater threat, and that Hezbollah is a greater threat. All of a sudden, we change the entire scenario because it is now Hamas instead of Hezbollah, or ISIS, or Muslim Brotherhood. Number two, on, 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 on just on this issue, just appealing to your common sense. In modern, in modern history, every war has been between a free state and a police state, or two police states. I cannot think of a 20th century example of any other. And the same holds true here. You have the police state of Hamas. If you differ with Hamas, they kill you. Where in the world, other than Israel, does anyone ever argue that the free state doesn't want peace and the police state wants peace? There is no other example on earth. There is no other example on earth of a country targeted for extinction. None. 220 some odd countries in this world. Only Israel is targeted for extinction. And we have a debate on whether the, the, the state targeted for extinction is the barrier to peace. Dennis Prager pointing out really the obvious there that in no other situations do we call the terrorists the good guys. In no other situation do we suggest the terrorists are the one who want peace. No, Hamas have made it clear they want Israel to disappear and their rhetoric is violent and their actions are violent and sadly the Palestinian people have to put up with having terrorists as their leaders. Let's go to Israel for today's interview. I caught up with David Silver. He lives in Israel, has done for, well, some 15 odd years or more now, Mount Carmel. He runs an organization called Out of Zion Ministries, where he tells stories about what's happening in Israel. Uh, and of course, he is living in the midst of it all. Thank goodness, not right at the center of these attacks. But nonetheless, I did ask him, what's it like to be a Kiwi living in Israel, knowing that the bombs can be pretty close to your house? We live on Mount Carmel, so nothing. Well, there was a, a, a two or three rockets came across from Lebanon uh, and landed about six or seven kilometers from our house, which for Israel is a long way away. But I guess for, for Kiwis, that sounds pretty close, right? Um, so generally, we weren't really affected by the war, apart from the fact that we were watching throughout the day what was going on. And in 2006, I think it was, there was a war on the northern border with Lebanon for, uh, for five weeks. And we had over 4,000 rockets and missiles flying in towards us. We had 30 to 60 seconds to get to our, uh, our bomb shelter, which is at the back of our house. And we experienced, you know, every, it doesn't matter whether they landed on the sea, whether they landed on land, we, we felt the, we heard the explosions, we felt the explosions, the whole house was shaking. We had our eldest son, Stefan, was uh, actually a, a company commander of the army inside Lebanon for, for three or four weeks in grave danger. So, you know, we could truly identify with the suffering of, of both sides, really, because, you know, also the other side was being bombed as well. Um, there was, there's a difference which maybe we can talk about. But uh, um, you know, I, I remember when I when I think I was in Israel on a on a on a just on a tourism trip, and I actually took a bus 
from uh, Jerusalem down to Tel Aviv for something. And um, a soldier got on the bus and sat right beside me and he went to sleep, but his, his rifle was kind of pointing right towards my neck. And, uh, you know, being a key, I, I, I was never, never even been close to a gun in my life. And here's this M16 rifle, you know, a few inches from my, from my neck. So it's a very, very different experience here, Aaron. I want to talk about this in the way in which the international media is to try and see if we can't unpack some of this narrative. So the official kind of Western media narrative runs something like this. And there are a few parts we need to unpack. Firstly, the backdrop we need to unpack. They will play out, for example, that the Palestinians are a colonized people, that Israel is some invading force that has suppressed the indigenous Palestine people. Uh, And then as a result of that, Palestinians are fighting for their freedom but because they're uh, not a fully fledged nation with a a fully fledged army the best they can do is fire off some rockets and then Israel that has its army fires back with its might and its power and hits the fly with a sledgehammer so there's a few bits of this story we need to unpack let's start with the backdrop one I find it incredible particularly here in New Zealand to hear Maori people feeling like they identify with Palestinians because they've heard that Palestinians are a colonized people, which is so odd, having visited the land of Israel. And of course, all of the archaeological sites remind us that the Tangata Fenua, the people of the land, are Jewish. That's really true. And actually, to take that a, a step further, Aaron, the Palestinian people didn't exist. The so-called Palestinian people didn't exist before 1967. Um, and before 1967, when people referred to uh, Palestinians, they were speaking to the Jewish residents of of, of what we call Israel today, and there was organizations like the, the Palestine Post, which is today the Jerusalem Post, the, the Palestine Bank, the Palestine Orchestra, they were all Jewish organizations. But when Yasser Arafat and the PLO came on the scene at the end of the amazing Six-Day War of 1967, when Israel gained this land back, um, all of a sudden they began to speak of, well, he, Arafat realized he had a very powerful weapon in the, in the, in the Western media, and he began to speak every day about a Palestinian state and the Palestinian people that never existed before. And actually, the Christchurch Press reprinted a, uh, a letter to the editor of a newspaper, a Dutch newspaper called The Trowel from 1973, and um, they quoted an executive committee member of the PLO, his name was uh, Zahir Hussein, and this is what he said. Uh, he said, the Palestinian people do not exist. We only speak today about a Palestinian state and a Palestinian people for the you know, for our political goals. And he said, in reality, uh, you know, the Palestinians are really Lebanese, um, you know, from wherever they came from. They they were nomads out of the desert and they, they gradually, you know, they gravitated back to Israel, actually, when, when the Jews started coming up coming home. So number one, uh, you know, as you say, the Palestinian people are not really a, a legitimate entity. They never have been. There's no language. There's no currency. There never has been a, a nation. There was a what the Romans did back way back in, uh, in the, at the end of the first century. They, they, they named the entire area that they were occupying, uh, the, you know, Palestina, which, but it wasn't a country. It was just an entire region. Anyway, um, you know, sitting here and what, what really amazes me, Aaron, is that the way the media reports it is that they number one they always start off by saying what israel did to the other side they don't say that israel did that in response to what happened here and um you know sure i'm watching cnn and i'm seeing 
Uh, they're constantly showing pictures of destroyed homes or little kids injured or families that have lost loved ones. But what that, what do, 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 do Jewish lives not matter? And they, they never speak about that. And, you know, um, Jewish kids down in Starot and other towns along the Gaza border, they've been, they've, they've been traumatized for years with these rockets coming in sporadically. And, of course, when wars begin, they come in at uh, 400 a day, Aaron recently and uh you know praise god we have these um we have the, this iron dome system which was developed with the americans and that has a pretty good record of, of knocking uh rockets out of the or these missiles out of the air if they're if they're heading towards population centers but think about it everybody think about it if we didn't have the, that system and they started firing rockets like they did at, at 190 or 200 a day originally directly at directly at uh com- you know community centers uh, what would the toll in Israel be? But nobody, I don't, I don't understand it. Why doesn't the media have a concern for Jewish lives? Well, it seems, David, one of the issues almost is that the Iron Dome again reinforces this idea that Israel is the the power broker in the arrangement. They're so rich, so powerful, they have an Iron Dome. But the poor Palestinians, they have nothing. They are just the freedom fighters. And so Hamas has been given almost this badge of honor that they are fighting for freedom for a people who are colonized. But the reality is that Hamas is a terrorist organization, isn't it? And its goals are just about establishing a Palestinian state, but ending a Jewish one. That's that's the charter, and it's never been changed. Their charter calls for the total destruction of Israel, as did the PLO and Yasser Arafat. But, uh, you know, the, the poor Palestinians, yes, there are some very poor Palestinians in that area, and even in the West Bank area. But, um, uh, you know, according to information I have, um, that those areas have the largest percentage of exotic cars in the Middle East. There's, in Ramallah, there's a really amazing uh, hotels and, and, and buildings. And the truth is, um, Hamas is being financed by Iran. And, you know, they're being financed and they're being supplied their, their more sophisticated weapons. I'm not sure how they get through. That's why Israel had to have this blockade, because a lot of their, a lot of their records are just uh, rockets, are just homemade jobs in factories inside houses. And, um, you know, the, the, the sad truth is, is that millions of dollars of Western aid, dollars, euros, pounds of Western aid have been poured in to the West Bank and poured into, into the Gaza Strip. And Israel opened up the borders after the last conflict. Um, they let building materials through, cement, concrete, everything, metal, whatever they needed. But mo- you know, most of it is, is grabbed by Hamas, not for the rebuilding of their homes, but for building the tunnel system and for, you know, for building these factories that produce weapons to annihilate Israel. And that's what Iran is calling for, the uh, annihilation of Israel. And, uh, you know, they are funding and supplying weapons to, to Hamas in the south and Hezbollah in the north. And I just read, a, read like, there was an article, I think, in the Jerusalem Post. I think I just quoted it on my, on my daily report. Um, it said that the silence... Of the of the of the international community uh, concerning Hamas and Hezbollah is is immoral, and it really is. I'm very tempted here to. Uh 
acknowledge that we might be falling into the trap together of simply swapping the hats. You know, the, the Western media says that uh, Israel should wear the black hat, it's the bad guy, and, and uh, the Palestinians are the good guys, wear the white hat. And it's very tempting, isn't it, in our conversation simply to reverse the bias. Is it more complicated than that? Are there some things that should be celebrated about the Palestinians? Are there some decisions that Israel should say, actually, that's a fair cop, we did get that wrong? Well, you know, Israelis are human like everybody else, and they do make mistakes. Uh, and also, it might be important to, to, to uh, state that the name of the army is the Israel Defense Force, not the Israeli attack force. And, you know, we don't start conflicts, Aaron. And the reason why we don't start conflicts is, number one, the, you know, the, the, the Torah, which is the basis of, 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 of Jewish life, has respect for human life. And the other reason, the more practical reason, is that the soldiers and the pilots are our kids. And decent folk don't seem, don't start a war that's going to, you know, cause you to have to send your children, your, your, you know, your, your children out, your young ones out to possibly put their lives in risk. So Israel purely wants to live in peace. And, you know, we've been here since uh, 48, just after the Holocaust. And, you know, we've really, apart from Egypt and Jordan until recently, uh, the, we've been officially still at war with most of the countries around us because the Islamic world does not tolerate the existence of Israel. I want to talk about how to deal with the complexity of the current situation. We acknowledge that Israel has way more historical claim over the land than the Palestinian Authority could ever hope to. And yet, right now, today, there are people who have been born, raised and only ever lived in the Palestinian Authority. So as far as they're concerned, that place is their home. And any thought that somebody would want to take their home from them is as abhorrent to them as it is to Israel to hear that Hamas would like to wipe them off the map. What are we going to do? What is a viable solution to what has become an intractable situation? Well, I think Golda Meir once said, if the Palestinians put down their guns, there will be no war. And if Israel puts down their guns, there will be no Israel. And, you know, the, the, the facts on the ground, Aaron, is that since that uh, Gaza withdrawal, I think in 2005, there is no Jewish presence at all uh, on the other side of the Gaza Strip. They, they're there, they're there by themselves. Uh, and the only reason why there was any form of blockade was to stop uh, weapons coming in or terrorists coming into Israel. Uh, in in uh, Judea and Samaria, which is the official name of what the world calls the West Bank or the occupied territories, there are Arabs and Jews living across the road, villages across the road from each other. Um, we can live in peace. And, you know, uh, maybe the listeners don't realize, but there are 1.5 million Arabs living inside Israel, not the so-called Palestinians, but Israeli Arabs. And sadly, there was some Tension, serious tension during this war, but generally in Haifa and Akko and Tiberias, Jews and Arabs can live together. We have uh, we have Arab friends. Well, I used to work. I had an Arab business partner, and Jews and Arabs we can get on. And I, you know, I think I can speak honestly for at least ninety percent uh, of Israeli Jews is that we would we just want to live in peace. And you know, when before. Hamas got into the Gaza Strip, the borders were open, the, the Gazans were coming across, working in Israel, taking wages back. 
everything was everything was rosy until Hamas came on the scene uh, to try and with their charter of the destruction of Israel. So the the simple answer is live in peace. If you if they will live in peace with us, we will live in peace with them, and we can enjoy the the beautiful Mediterranean and the the great fruit and veg that the land here you know produces. It would be it would be wonderful, but. Sadly, as I said, it's Iran is kind of behind everything that's going on here in in the in the Israeli situation. So <laughs> that's the way it is. Uh, the long term solution, uh, I really don't know. That well, one of the solutions would be for the people of Gaza to eject Hamas as the as the as their leadership. I think where David leaves it there is such a perfect summary. On the one hand, to remember that everybody wants peace. Let's not buy into this story that only Palestinian people want peace. Jewish people want peace. And in fact, uh, the Israeli state is the one that can be banked on to promote peace. After all, they're actually a real democracy. It has been over a decade since Hamas was installed as the leaders of the Palestinian uh, state, the Palestinian Authority. Uh, they are not really, truly a democratically elected group. It is a police state. And would it be lovely if there was peace in that part of the world? Sadly, it would appear that because of this other agenda to eradicate Israel, that whenever a solution is presented, and if you look back in the history books, right since 1948, every time time Israel has offered up a two-state solution, it has been rejected. When Donald Trump suggested something that Benjamin Netanyahu thought was the deal of the century, and yet it too was scoffed at by Hamas. And that's simply because peace would mean they would have to put their weapons down. They don't want to put their weapons down because they have an agenda that is deeply sinister and one that we just need to keep reminding ourselves of. The Palestinian people, they're not the problem. I'm sure that they're ordinary mums and dads, just like in Israel. It is this terrorist organization, Hamas, who has a lot to answer for. And yet, in our mainstream media, bias, bias, bias. And I, for one horrified. Because I have friends in Israel, I'm hearing all of the other side of the story all the time. And so whenever I turn on the news, I just cannot believe that every story is pitched as Hamas is responding to Israel instead of the truth. It's Israel who's responding, defending themselves. Now, I kind of get it from an optics point of view. It is so hard because you've got this army responding to terrorists. So it does kind of look like uh, Israel is the big, powerful player in that equation. We need to hear both sides of the story. We need to stop playing this reductive game of simplifying a very complex situation down to Israel bad, uh, Palestinians good. You know, it's way more complicated than that. And we need to learn a lot more. We need to teach our kids a lot more so they don't buy into these false narratives that Israel is anything like an apartheid state. Look, I've been to Israel. I've seen the Arab people living in peace in Israel. They're allowed to be citizens. They're allowed to vote. It's just absolute nonsense, some of the things that we're hearing in the mainstream media. And yes, I admit it, I'm a bit more fired up about this one than I have been about some other issues, and that's because I've got friends there, and it's kind of personal for me that uh, people who I know and who I care about find themselves vulnerable because the international community is not defending Israel's right to defend itself and to exist. 
And so I hope this has been a challenging and informative episode. I'd like to hear your thoughts about it. Do you know somewhere where you can get a more balanced bit of news coverage on this topic? Please let us know. You can communicate with us at activeintelligence.nz. You can hit the subscribe button and make sure that every new episode arrives in your inbox. Love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time on Active Intelligence.